Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's month nine of this pandemic, and it's still hard to believe that we've lost almost 300,000 people to COVID-19 here in the United States alone. Saying it out loud... It's such an abstract, incomprehensible number, right? But if you've lost just one person, it's a universe of grief. We all deal with loss in our own ways. Some people journal. Others meditate. Some pray. Jolene Lavid, who you're going to meet in this episode, she counts. I don't think that people are counting. And I remember saying, I want to count because they're not going to count for us. And it's, it's happening to our families. Jolene runs a site called Kanlugan, which is both a database and a memorial to Filipino health workers who have died from COVID-19. One reason she's doing this is because Filipino nurses are dying at a disproportionate rate. A little over 30% of the nurses who've died of COVID-19 in this country are Filipino. Yet Filipino nurses make up just 4% of the nation's nursing population. It's another tragic statistic we might not be able to wrap our minds around. So in this episode, CNN immigration reporter Catherine Schoikett tells the story of a sisterhood of Filipino nurses dealing with the loss of one of their own. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. To understand this story, we have to begin with a little history lesson. First, we have to talk about why there are so many Filipino nurses in the first place. Here's Catherine Siniza Choi, a professor of ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. The history of Filipino nurses in the United States is a long-standing history that's inextricably linked to U.S. colonization of the Philippines. And in order to justify colonization, U.S. uh, supporters of this proclaimed that U.S. colonization was a kind of benevolent assimilation. One of the reasons why it was benevolent was because Americans brought education to the Philippines, and that included nursing education in the Philippines. They were also trained to speak English. After that, two things happened. One, there was a nursing shortage in the U.S. post-World War II. And two, the Immigration Act of 1965 was passed, which made migration to the U.S. a lot easier. All of these things converge so that when American hospital recruiters start to think about how they're going to alleviate critical nursing shortages here in the United States, they turn to the Philippines. Jolene Levid, who you heard from earlier, has an immigration story that was pretty common for Filipinos back in the 1970s. My paternal grandmother, she was a registered nurse, 
when my grandfather died, while my dad was only three years old, my grandmother could no longer afford to practice nursing in the Philippines and support her three children. So she had to migrate to Canada and then the United States. Jolene was born and raised in California. She currently works for one of the biggest teachers unions in L.A., which makes Jolene the only person in her family who isn't a nurse. My dad's eldest sister is a nurse. My dad's second sister is a healthcare worker. My sister-in-law is an ICU nurse. My mother-in-law is still a nurse. And um, my other sister-in-law from my brother is also a nurse. So we're all, all nursing family here, except for me. And what was it like for you growing up as the granddaughter of a nurse and the daughter of a nurse? How did it shape your life growing up? It's, it was always like a really interesting balance, right? So on the one hand, I had all these women healers around me, right? Like <laughs> you have a cold and, and everybody knows what to do. You have a fever, everybody knows what to do. But then at the same time, all of my nurse family members were telling me not to become a nurse because their union drives were busted because they were paid less than their white colleagues. They were in some of the riskier departments or the more difficult departments to fill, like the ICUs, the the ERs. And your mom, is she still working as a nurse? She literally just um, retired in October of this year. She actually was an ICU nurse for 30 years, night shift, and migrated here with her six best friends from nursing school. So the six of them, they were like all this crew. The nursing crew, which is what I'm going to call Jolene's mother and her friends, all went to school for nursing in Manila. Then they were all recruited to work in the States in the 1970s and moved to Missouri. I was in awe because I'd never been outside the country. I was 20, this was 1977, so that made me 24, 23 years old, very young. That's Gertrude Tan, who's one of the nursing crew. When they first moved to Missouri, it was wintertime. The Philippines is a tropical country, so they had never experienced winter before, and none of them were prepared for it. We went out to do our laundry, which is a building away from where we were living. So we had to carry these carts. We were just crying in the snow. We were not warm enough. You know, and then we got home and we just laughed and laughed because we felt we felt like a fool. So we were homesick, as in terribly, terribly homesick. Later on, they all moved to Los Angeles, where the weather was more like back home. We came to California and established our home here, of course, with the help of our friends. It's so hard if you don't have friends or family to support you if you're new to a place. They met new people started families, and expanded their crew of Filipino nurses to a dozen. We managed to get it together, bought our home, had children. And that's when we met Rosary. She was around in her 20s at that time. I worked with her in the same hospital. Rosary Castro Olega, a Filipino-American nurse born and raised in California, became the newest addition to this sisterhood of Filipino nurses. She's part of what Jolene calls her network of aunts this support system for immigrants and their families. They were at each other's birthdays and weddings. They became godmothers to each other's children. Rosary even named one of Gertrude's twin boys. I didn't know that I was carrying twins. 
So needless to say, I was prepared for only one, including one name. And when she visited, she said, well, you know, Jeremy sounds like a good name. So, well, guess what? I took her as godparent. Rosary became family for Gertrude, just like she was for Jolene. I was like one of her flower girls when I was little (laughs) with two other of my mom's best friend's daughters. And we were like in these really horrible 80s style um, flower girl dresses. (laughs) They were like pink and poofy. When I asked Jolene and Gertrude to describe Rosary, they literally said the same thing. The The life life of of the the party. party. She loved to dance. dance. (laughs) That's just like the best summary. She was, she had high energy. She was really funny. She had this big laugh. She loved to sing. Is she the karaoke queen? I'm the karaoke queen. (laughs) (laughs) I can say she's the next. (laughs) The princess. She's the princess. (laughs) By the time the pandemic hit, a lot of the nurses from the crew were already retired including Rosary. She was supposed to go on a cruise, but it was canceled. No one was surprised when she went back to work instead. Here's Jolene. She came out of retirement and decided to do contract work because there is still a nursing shortage. Her reaction was that of a dedicated nurse, which is you see that there are a lot of sick people. You see that there's not enough staffing. And so she stepped up. This was right at the beginning of the pandemic, in March, back when we didn't know anything. There was still a lot of confusion about masks, about transmission, about how contagious this virus was, and how it killed. Then Gertrude Dan got a call. My friend Joyette called me. Um, She said that, Gertrude, this is close to home. Rosary is in the ER as we speak. We been through other, you know, diseases that are near fatal, but somehow it was manageable. But this time, you don't know what you're dealing with. So you could just imagine our fear. I was sitting at my dining table and actually my mom called me to let me know that she was already, she was already intubated in the ICU. She has twin daughters herself and um, they both had it too and were hospitalized and she's the only one that didn't make it. It was just my mom talking to her best friends and them praying together, but they couldn't even visit Auntie Rosary in in the hospital here in LA. And you weren't able to visit her either? No, no one visited, no. When this happened, I could hear my mom crying on the phone, but I, because it was so early on in the pandemic, she was like, don't come here, don't come here, you know? And, you know, when you, when your mom loses a best friend, like the least that you could do is hug your mom. And her saying like, don't come here, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to be fine. But knowing that she wasn't and that their entire group of friends wasn't. So that was, that was hard, that was the hardest. And when they said that she died, I just hang up because it was hard. Rosary was a good friend. She was godmother to my child. She was part of our adopted family. Only six people were allowed to attend the viewing at the funeral home. Rosary's three children, her husband, her sister, and her daughter-in-law. 
When I reported and wrote this story for the CNN website, I spoke with Tiffany, one of Rosary's daughters. She said that Rosary loved Disneyland. She went on every single ride and especially loved the fireworks. Next year, hopefully when everything's better, Tiffany wants to host a celebration of Rosary's life there and get everyone together. A proper send-off for the woman who was always the life of the party. When I texted Tiffany to ask her to come on the podcast, she said that the holidays were a painful time for her and she needed a break from interviews for now. Thank you, she said, for taking the time to hear about my mother's story. Auntie Rosary passed away, and then two weeks later, another one of my mom's very good friends, Nilda Ronquillo, passed away from COVID as well, another registered nurse. I don't think that people are counting. And I remember saying, I want to count, because they're not going to count for us. And it's, it's happening to our families. And so, with the help of a nonprofit organization called Affirm, Jolene started Kangungan. It's a website to count and memorialize the Filipino nurses and other healthcare workers who've died of COVID-19. In English, Kangungan means shelter or refuge. When Rosary died in March, she was the first healthcare worker to die of COVID-19 in Los Angeles County, and her name was the first added to the website. As the numbers of COVID deaths keep going up, Jolene continues to comb through obituaries, looking for Filipino healthcare workers who've paid the price of doing their job. What what goes through your mind when you're looking at their faces? Um, they look like my family. Like I see, I see the phlebotomist and the nurses and the doctors and the social workers. They look exactly like my family. They look exactly like the family members that didn't want to leave the Philippines but had to so that they could take care of their entire families. It's hard to see the photos of them with their children or their grandchildren, knowing that they should still be here. There's a lot of grief and there's also a lot of anger because they shouldn't have died. I'm also deathly afraid of erasure. I wonder what it means that I grew up knowing that generations of my family are here to practice nursing and the broader U.S. population is just finally hearing about how many Filipinos are in healthcare and how many of them are disproportionately dying because of this pandemic. So it's like two deaths, right? It's like they pass away and then no one even bothers to name them or tell their story. What are we now going to do to tell our families' stories? Um, and I think it's just the least we can do after so much loss. That was CNN reporter Catherine Schroikert with that amazing story. Earlier this week, the first COVID vaccine was administered in the United Kingdom. The nurse who gave that first shot, May Parsons, was Filipino. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening. Coronavirus Fact vs. Fiction is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer. Raj Makija 
is the Senior Manager of Production Operations. This week's episodes were produced by Anne Lagamayo, Rachel Cohn, Emily Liu, Aaron Mathewson, Madeline Thompson, Zach St. Louis, and Zoe Saunders. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Nathan Miller is our engineer, and David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seely of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.